Good morning, Freedom Fellowship. I'm ready this morning. I'm going to let you know right now. Uh, I'm excited. I'm almost like, okay, God, where do you want me to go? I got to have to bring it in a little bit. But I'm so glad that Miss Billy Faye was the one who gave the testimony on this morning. We've had many testimonies uh, leading up to today and about great miraculous things that God has done. But then there are those individuals that God raises up. And they're pioneers, they're soldiers, and they just press forward. They know how to walk in faith no matter what. They know how to continue to go forward and continue to go forward and continue to go forward. And that's what we're going to talk about on this morning. How to walk in faith and continue to go forward Continue to go forward. Continue to press your way through. Continue to go forward even when it doesn't look right. Even when it doesn't sound right. Even when you don't feel right. Even when the circumstances all contradict what God has said, knowing how to press forward in faith. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to continue the stories of faith. This series that Pastor Harold has begun. He started this series about three weeks ago, coming from Hebrews 11, what's commonly called the Faith Hall of Fame chapter. In week one, he began with Hebrews 11, verse 4, discussing the faith of Abel. Week two, he continued with Hebrews 11, 5 through 6, discussing the faith of Enoch. Last week, he continued our march with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 discussing the faith of Noah. Today we're going to continue our discussion examining the faith of Abraham. So let's go to Hebrews 11, and we're going to start at verse 8. Hebrews 11. I'm going to read verses 8, 9, and 10, then skip down to verse 17 and read 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had the promises, who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So where I actually want to begin is I want to talk about this word faith. The word faith and Abraham are almost like this. They're intertwined together. The scriptures tell us that in a way Abraham is a father to us all in the faith. So that makes him a pretty important person to look at. So let's look up at verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 11, because there's a definition that God gives us of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is tangible. Though it is not seen with the naked eye. Now, how do I know this? Because Romans 12 verse 3 says that God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. My point here is sometimes we look at faith as simple belief. But that's not faith. That's not faith. James says the demons believe that God is one and they tremble. The demons don't have faith. Faith is something that God gives us to each believer, the measure of faith. 
The second reason I can show that faith is tangible is because I want to ask this question. How does faith come? By hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's what makes it more than simple belief. I'm talking about biblical faith. Biblical faith springs forth from the word of the living God. Okay? So we've established that faith is tangible because God has given to each one of us a measure of faith. And that it is more than simple belief because the presence and increase of faith is due to the hearing of the word of God. What am I trying to say? Biblical faith is unique and is the direct result of the action of the word of God in the ears of the hearer. That's faith. This morning we're going to examine the responses that biblical faith produces by looking at the faith of Abraham. So let's focus on verse 8. Reading that again, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? What he's doing is he's referencing back to Genesis chapter 12. So let's go to Genesis 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now let's give some background here. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, you'll find, starting at verse 27, that Abraham who's known as Abram at this time, is one of three sons. At some point in his life, he loses his brother Haran. He's married to a woman called Sarai. Sarai, the scripture says, is barren. In other words, she can't have children. Then Terah, his father, dies. So this is the point that Abraham is at when all of this has occurred and God comes to him. And this is what he says to him. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. So the first thing we see here God tells Abraham to pack up his immediate family and go to a place that he will show him. I want you to think about that for a second. We kind of skip over that sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture. Just imagine that God comes to your house, knocks on your door. You answer the door. And he says, pack up your husband, pack up your children, and go to a place I'm going to show you. The first thought that comes to your mind is, where are we going? God says, don't worry about that. Just start walking. That's what happened to Abraham. God told him, pack up your family and just start walking. Now, what's the most important part of, of this passage that we've just read, verses 1 through 4? It's not the promises. The most important part is verse 4 where it says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham obeyed the command and the instruction of God. 
So if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith obeys. Faith obeys. Now let's go back to Hebrews 11. Now we're going to look at verse 9. Again, speaking of Abraham, it says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So it says that he dwelt in a tent in a foreign land. It was a foreign land, but it was also the land of promise. This is the place that God says, this is yours, and it'll be yours forever. Go to Genesis 13. Now, if you remember the last time I preached, I was real quick. That's not happening today. Genesis 13, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered, Everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, or Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So we just read about this dispute that arose between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen, because both of them were so rich. And so Abram said, hey, let's not fight. We're brethren. You choose one side, and whatever you don't choose, I'll take that. So Abram, should I say, Lot chose the place that was close to Sodom. And so Abram chose the other. Now, after settling this dispute, Abram chooses the land of Canaan. It's the promised land that God had told him about. God approaches Abram and tells him to look the land over in every direction, northward, south, well, northward, south, east, west. I got that right, didn't I? says that it is his forever. God also restates in more specific terms that he will make Abram's descendants as the dust of the earth in number when Abram still had no child and his wife Sarai was still barren. Now, what's the most important part 
of this passage of scripture that we've just read? I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse 18. It says, then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So what we see here is the biblical evidence of faith. We have the necessary ingredients because in verse 18, to show that he believed God, it says he walked the land and went to a certain place, erected a tent, and built an altar to the Lord. That was his response to the word of God while he still had no children, and he dwelt in the land that was promised to him but was not his. Faith sees. Faith sees. Faith sees in spite of what is in front of you. Faith sees in spite of the circumstances that surround you. That's what faith does. That's what Abram did. That's why he erected that altar. The altar is a place of sacrifice and worship. Can you worship God in spite of your circumstances? Can you worship and praise God in spite of what surrounds you? That's faith. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We going somewhere with this, y'all. Verse 10. Now, most people would read verse 10 with verse 9. But the way I see it, I think they're separate. It says, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. One of the things that I want you to notice, it says that he looked for a city. A city that God builds, that God makes. If you notice, it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, actually in, in Hebrews 9, chapter, verse 9 of chapter 11, it says that he dwelt in tents. How many know if you live in a tent, you don't plan on staying there very long. But he dwelt in tents his whole life. And it makes the comment that he looked for a city. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. What was that city? What city was he looking for? What did Abra see that enabled him, in spite of how rich he was? If you notice in the scriptures, most of the, the, the people, especially if they're men or women of influence, they build. They build. They settle cities. They name cities after themselves or their sons. But it said he dwelt in tents his whole life because he looked for a city. What city was it? I'm glad you asked. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. We're going to start at verse 1, read down to verse 4, and then skip down to verse 9. And there's a word that I want you to pay special attention to. And that word is foundations. In Hebrews 11, verse 10, it says he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And it says of that city that it had foundations, plural. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That speaks volumes right there because he's seeing a city with these gates, with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel while he yet had no child. Verse 13, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed in it to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 forlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That's the city that Abraham saw. That's the city that Abraham was looking for, a city that has foundations. Faith is forward-looking. It sees what no one else can see. Now, as we proceed, I want you to keep in mind how we defined biblical faith. Biblical faith comes from hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Now, we said that faith obeys. Faith sees. And faith is forward-looking. But how many know that faith must be tested. Faith must be tested. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 real quick. We're going to start at verse 3. Peter, writing to the saints, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So faith must be tested. It must be tried. It has to be stretched. 
has to be shaped and molded. Sometimes it has to be beaten. You know, when you're trying to refine gold, sometimes gold has to be beaten. If you ask the gold if it feels good, it probably going to say, no, it does not feel good to get beaten. Well, faith is the same way. It has to be tested. And Abraham's faith was tested. Go to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. Now, by this time, Abraham, God has opened up the womb of Sarah and has enabled Abraham to father children at the age of 100. In Genesis 22, Isaac is a young man by now. Most speculate that he was between the ages of 15 and 25. So he's a young man now. And God comes to him. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, you know what? I done got ahead of myself. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I told y'all I'm ready. I done got ahead of my Hebrews 11, because we got to provide context for this. Verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So we often read that passage of scripture, but we don't often examine the process that got him to this point. So now let's go back to Genesis 22. We're going to look at what Hebrews is talking about here. Verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Let's stop right there. Like I said, by now, Sarah has given birth to Isaac, the promised seed. He's a young man now. In verse 2 of that chapter, chapter 22, it says that Abraham loved Isaac. Of course he did. This is the son of promise. God approaches Abraham and commands him to offer a burnt offering. Offer Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain that God will show him. Now look at verse 3. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham did not waste any time in obeying God. His response was immediate obedience. Now, I got a question for you. How come he didn't talk to his wife? <laughs> I think he knew better. Sometimes faith requires that you move right away and not talk to anybody else. But I want to be careful when I say that. 
Because we're talking about biblical faith based on the word of God, not craziness. Because I don't want anybody saying, Elder Ed said this is faith, and I, I, I just got to go purchase this because I'm doing it by faith. God told, no, don't say that. We're talking about biblical faith. Faith rooted in the word of God and the promises of God. Now, here's the thing, though. It says in verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So it took him three days to get to the place that God had showed him to sacrifice Isaac. So he's journeying. He's journeying for three days. Do you think some thoughts crossed his mind? It's possible that these are some of the questions. I thought I had some questions here. I can come up with them. I don't need to look at. God, are you sure? God, kill Isaac? But wait a minute, God. The covenant that you made with me is tied to this young man. The promises that you made to me are tied to this young man. God, this doesn't make any sense. How many have been there? But faith says, I trust you, God. That's what Abraham's faith said. I trust you. Verse 5. Faith obeys immediately. Look at verse 5. Once he gets to that place afar so off, it says, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, that is a remarkable statement. He's coming to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. Yet, he tells the two men, wait here with the donkeys at the base of the mountain. I and the lad will go worship the Lord, and we will come back to you. That's faith speaking. Let's keep reading. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? How many, if your child asked you that question, you would have broke right then? But look at Abram's response to him. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Faith speaking again. God will provide himself a lamb. We want to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Let's read down here to verse 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So he's ready to do it. Faith is tested. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? Will you obey God? No matter what it costs you. Now, 
Here is the thing. When I look at this passage of scripture and I examine Abraham, when God gave him the initial promise, he was 75 years old. When he realized the promise, he was 100 years old. Isaac is now between 15 and 25 years old. How many, I mean, if I was him, every time I look at Isaac, I would just go, yeah. Yeah. That's the son of promise right there. Yes, that's my miracle right there. And I was 100 years old and was able to father him. Oh, y'all slow on the draw on that one. <laughs> he had to be precious to him. God tells him to go kill him. And he immediately responds with obedience. And in the process, proclaims that the son that I have, that I will kill, will come back with me. How was he able to do that? How was Abraham able to obey God without hesitation? Go to Isaiah 55. If I can convey this to you correctly, we're about to see just how faith operates. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to start at the very beginning, but what I really want to focus on is verses 6 through 13. Because I believe it reveals what Abraham may have done that enabled him to pass God's test. There's a pattern or a formula revealed in this passage of Scripture. Now, some background here. Isaiah is a prophet during the time when Israel is divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's quite possible that the northern kingdom has already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. But the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, has, that has not happened with them yet. But Babylon is coming. So it's possibly during this time that Isaiah makes or prophesies what he prophesies in Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, we have here God making his appeal to Israel to repent. It says in verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So in the first five verses, God invites Israel to drink from the waters he provides and promises to them an everlasting covenant with the sure mercies of David. In verse 6, it says, the, the Lord tells them, seek the Lord while I may be found. 
Verse 7, the wicked must forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Verse 8, God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I have a question. Why does God tell the wicked and the unrighteous to forsake his ways and thoughts and then speak concerning how much higher his ways and thoughts are? Chew on that for a second. God tells the wicked man, forsake your way. He tells the unrighteous man, forsake your thoughts. Then he says, for my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Why does he go there? I believe it's because he's telling them, forsake your way, forsake your thoughts, so that you can embrace my way and you can embrace my thoughts. Now, why is this so important? Look at verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. If you take on God's thoughts and his thoughts become your, his words out of your mouth, you change your situation. Come on, some, some of y'all ain't got this. He said that to the wicked and the righteous, but it applies to each one of us as believers. It's the standard way that God operates. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God hovered over the earth. And then God said, let there be. Didn't say he got on his knees and started shaping. For, he just said, let there be. What came out of his mouth was the product of what was in his mind, and it produced the heavens and the earth. So if you lay hold of God's thoughts, his thoughts are expressed to us in his word. When you lay hold of his thoughts and his thoughts get on the inside of you, they start to bubble up. And you start to see your situation, and you start to see it not from your perspective, but from God's perspective, and you begin to speak to your situation. What am I trying to do? Get the word on the inside so you can start speaking to your situations. How was Abraham able to take his son, the son of promise, the son that everything he hopes for? The Bible tells us he saw a city whose builder and maker is God. That city's not coming if Isaac remains dead. How was he able to do that? Go to Genesis chapter 12 again. God made a covenant with him. Told him to get out of his city, leave your family, and he says, and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham rehearsed that. He rehearsed that. He kept the promises of God ever before him. See, that's the key. A lot of times we get promises from God, we get the word of God in us, but we don't keep it before us. 
we don't rehearse it. Look at what Psalm 1 says. Let's go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, one of my favorite psalms. Starting at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight, his delight. If you delight in something, you spend a lot of time with it. You spend a lot of time in it. How many of you have hobbies? Nobody has hobbies? Okay, I see some hands out there. It's a hobby for you because you like doing it. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Well, the more you keep God's words before you, the more you delight in his promises, it becomes a part of you and you begin to speak it forth. And you can speak it over your situation. See, a lot of times, here's what I'm trying to say. We want great miracles. We want signs, wonders, and miracles to occur. Because God has not changed. Neither has his word changed. Says, I am the Lord. I change not. What I could do 2,000 years ago, I can do now. Not only can I do it, I'm still willing to do it. But look at what Psalm 1 says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates. That word means to chew on, to rehearse, to murmur to yourself, to encourage yourself. That's what it means. And that word, don't get messed up with the word law. So I know, especially based on what church we were raised in, law brings up all kinds of pictures. In the Hebrew, that word is Torah. It simply means instructions. His instructions, delight in his instructions. So we come under the new covenant with better promises. Therefore, what instructions has he given you? That's what you need to be rehearsing. Day and night. What am I saying? This is a two-way street. We partner with God. We partner with God. We continue to speak about that loved one that we're praying for. You're going to get saved. In the book of Acts, it says that many times, he and his family was saved. You're going to get saved. It says here in the scriptures, in Psalm 1, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth this fruit in this season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does prosper. So that business that I'm raising up, you're going to prosper. I'm going to continue to speak that over the business because God told me to do this. That's how Abraham was able to go up that mountain and be ready to kill his son. Because, see, here is the amazing thing, and we're going we're gonna to end on this. He's got the knife up. He's about to kill his son. He's about to sacrifice him. How was he able to get that? If the angel had not cried out, Isaac was going to die. But look at what Hebrews says. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. 
when you lay hold of the thoughts of God, which are expressed through the word of God, and it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Now, up until this point, there is no mention in scripture of anyone being raised from the dead. There's no talk of it. How did Abraham come to the point where he could see that that was what was God was going to do? Faith brings revelation. That had to be revealed to him. That God, you're going to raise him from the dead. Several things are involved here. Number one, he lets us know that God is faithful and a God of his word. Number two, that his promises are sure. And number three, with God, nothing is impossible. That's how he was able to do. He, he held on. He held on. I don't, it doesn't make sense. My situation, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that I'm going to kill my son. But God is able. What, you're going to do something here. You got, you got to do something here. I don't know what. Wait a minute. God gave life from the beginning. He must be able to restore it. That's why he was able to do what he was able to do. That's the, that's the faith of Abraham. I have a personal testimony. It's not nearly on this level. But it, it's, it's, it's on a level for me. Let's put it that way. Many of you know I was in the Air Force for 22 years. I had planned on doing longer. But the Air Force gave me an assignment to Korea. And it was a remote assignment. After 22 years in the military, I wasn't doing a remote. The most important, one of the, the most important reason was I had four kids. I had a daughter who was about to graduate high school, but the most important thing is I had two sons who were in their teenage years. I wasn't about to leave them to her with me on the other side of the world at that age. So I took that as God. You're telling me it's time to retire. So I put them in. I didn't have any plan. Now, of course, I retire. So I, there's a retirement salary that comes when you put in your paperwork. But how many retirees do I have in here? Let me ask a question. Is your retirement pay enough to support a family of six? Not even close. And so I'm like, okay, I got to apply for a job. Now, my plan was, somebody already laughed. You know, <laughs> you can have a plan, and a lot of times God laughs at your plan. I've applied for jobs in Austin, San Antonio, I believe. I applied for jobs in Dallas. And on this one particular job I applied for, I got to the third interview. Now, how many know when you get to the third interview, most of the time you're about, you're about to get the job? Well, what I didn't know until later is that I was actually in competition with one other person. And that final interview was a telephone interview. And I'm answering these questions, and I'm knocking it out the park. But there was one question that the interviewer asked, and I, was, I answered it very confidently. And I can tell in her eyes it was arrogance. And I knew I had lost the job right then. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And so I'm like, Lord, what, what are we going to do? God, you know. I got four children. I got a wife who's in school. Retirement pay is not going to do it. 
So then I had a minister friend of mine who was with me in Florida. He called me on the phone. He said, Ed, God has told me, because my wife and I were starting up a little small ministry, and he said, God has told me that I'm to stay here in San Angelo alongside of the two of you. I was like, for real? And so I'm like, after he said all this, I hung up the phone. I went to my wife. I said, this is what Minister Luckett has said. And what that means is God's going to provide me a job right here. I don't know how it's going to work. So this is a Tuesday, I believe. The rest of the day goes by. Wednesday goes by. Thursday. And Thursday afternoon, I get a phone call. It's my old boss. My old boss asked me the question, how would you like to come back to work doing the exact same thing you were doing when you were in uniform? I said, yes. And I, all I did, I went, I went back to the exact same desk I worked in that had all my stuff I left when I retired. <laughs> I got the retirement pay and the position pay as a civilian. I didn't know how it was gonna work out. I knew I had to make a statement. Our step, the step was I got to retire. I knew there are times where you know what you have to do, even though after you do it, you're wondering, Lord, what did I do? <laughs> but I stood on the promises of God. But I also want to let you know there were times where I was like, Lord, I've been faithful. What are you doing? What are you waiting on? Because I had to wait and wait and wait and wait, and wait. I had got me a journal, and I started sharing in my journal. I just put my thoughts in the journal. God, this is how I'm feeling. What's going on? Where is the job? What door are you opening? And I closed it up, and I stood on the promises of God. What I'm trying to say is that to walk by faith means that you take on the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God come from the word of God. The word of God is his thoughts expressed. And you begin to chew on his word. That's why the scripture says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God in his mouth is the expression of his thoughts towards you. What are his thoughts towards you? But Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we are created in his image and in his likeness. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts I think towards you to prosper you and to give you an expected end. See, those are the thoughts God thinks towards you. Psalm 139 tells us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows right well. Your thoughts toward me are so innumerable, it overwhelms me. My mind can't handle it. Those are the thoughts you got to lay hold of. That's not arrogance, that's faith. And when you rehearse God's words in your heart and in your mind, and then you speak them forward, guess what? It's God's words, not your word. It's not your, it's God's words. And in Isaiah 55, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, 
and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And read on. Verse 12, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What am I saying? You're going to be blessed. Stand to your feet.